First John chapter one, verses uh, five through ten. Give ear to the word of God. John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Well, last Sunday, if you were here, we started our text, our, our uh, study through this book, looking at the first four verses. And we saw there that, that John says that the purpose, one of the purposes of proclaiming the message of the gospel was that sinners might be saved, brought to salvation through faith in Christ. And one of the main aspects of that salvation that we may not think about very much, but John spends a lot of time in the first chapter dealing with it, uh, consists in having fellowship not just with each other in the church, but having fellowship with God. You could say in a lot of ways salvation is about having a sinner being brought into fellowship with God himself. In our text this morning, John is still on that same subject of fellowship with God, and he shows uh, that the false teaching, we, we said it was Gnosticism or some early form of it, but the false teaching that had crept into the church had in some ways really violated and rendered that fellowship impossible. That for those who would follow that false gospel, there is no fellowship with God. And the false teaching of the early Gnostics, much like the false teaching of those who teach uh, error and heresy today, it's, impa- it's incompatible with Christianity. That's part of the, part of the, the theme of John's this letter throughout, is he's showing that the false teaching of the, of the early Gnostics and others wasn't just a different kind of Christianity. It was completely foreign to it. It was incompatible with it. In fact, it was hostile to it. It undid the truth of the gospel. It undid or prevented fellowship with God and with other believers. And so, you know, why is it that the church in every age is, is told in Jude, verse 3, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints? Uh, contend, that's a pretty strong word. You know, we, we don't like contentious people, right? But there's, there's a sense in which God's people are to contend, fight for the faith, for the truth of God's word. Why is it that we have to do that? We wish we didn't have to do that. We want to just get along, right? There may be a lot of good reasons for that. But according to John, one of those reasons is that false teaching and the fruits of that false teaching in our lives uh, hinder our fellowship with God and rob us of the fullness of joy that is to be ours through the enjoyment of fellowship with God. There are some very practical effects, bad effects of false teaching, just as there are very many practical fruits and effects of the truth. And John would have us to be clear about both of those things. So the first thing John does in our text, and we're not going to look at the entire text all the way through verse 10 Primarily today, we're going to start probably looking through verse 7. But the first thing he does is give us kind of a brief theology uh, uh, lesson of sorts. In many ways, you could say this, the antidote uh, 
or the, the correction of false teaching and false living always seems to be a right knowledge and understanding of God. When your view of God goes astray or goes awry, uh, your life will also go awry. And so very often the, the antidote that the scripture gives to us and presents to us for all kinds of heresies and ways of false living and sin is a right knowledge of God, presenting before us a right and true knowledge of God. F.F. F. Bruce writes it this way. He puts it, he says, If they are to have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, they must know the character of the God who has called them into fellowship with himself. You have to know the God that you're having fellowship rightly to have fellowship with him. And so what does John, what in particular does John emphasize for us and want us to know about the God who has called us into fellowship with himself through faith in his son? Look at verse 5 again. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. Everybody's ears perk up. Okay, John, what is it? What is the message that you heard from Christ? That's what he's saying. He says, heard from him uh, and proclaim to you. What is it? That God is light and in him is what? No darkness at all. He could have just said God is light. He really wants to make sure we have a real understanding. God is light and there is no darkness in him. We don't know if that was uh, an allusion to something that the Gnostics might have taught you know, kind of that maybe they maybe they thought there was some sort of yin and yang within the Godhead. There was darkness and light mixed. We don't know. But John's like, nope. God is light. It's of his essence. He is light, and there is nothing even remotely of darkness uh, within him at all. Back in verse three, John had said to us, he said, "That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you." so that you may have fellowship with us. Well, now he's telling us what that proclamation was about. He said, what we see, what we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And what was that message he proclaimed? It was that God is light. And not just that, not just that but also that God is light in such a way and to such an extent, as he says there, that in him there is no darkness at all. He couldn't put it in more strong and emphatic terms than he does. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, Paul says that God, quote, dwells in unapproachable light. There's light and then there's light. And he says God dwells in unapproachable light. Uh, one of the hymns we just sang uh, says it's only the, what does it say? Only the brightness of light hideth thee. Like light is as darkness compared to God's essential light. Um, the presence and glory of God in some ways has always been closely associated with light. Think about uh, the temple and the tabernacle, the glory of God filling it. What was the visual manifestation of that? It was a, like a blinding light. When, when Paul was on the Damascus road, what, what knocked him off his high horse? Remember it says in, in Acts 9, it was, it, was new, it was noon, it was midday, and a light shone around him that was so bright that he fell off his horse. I don't know how bright something would have to be at noon to blind you, you know, brighter than the sun, but that's what the Bible mentions. Think about the Israelites in the wilderness. What, what led them uh, part, you know, during their, their, their wilderness wanderings? A pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, but that pillar of fire gave them light, and it also led them. It, it emphasized the presence 
of God. Our call to worship this morning was Psalm 27. Psalm 27, 1. What does David say there? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? John 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the what? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, sounds a lot like what John says in our text, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the, the light of the world. Now, what does it mean to say that God is light? We can say these things and not define our terms. Uh, light here probably has at least two different related connotations. The first of those things that light we think of when you think of light if you think of light as truth or revelation from God, God revealing something, especially the truth, as opposed to the darkness of falsehood and ignorance. That certainly is part of what John is getting at. Those who are saved in Christ, 1 Peter 2.9 says that we have been called, quote, out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a very common theme with all the apostles, Peter, John, and and. Uh, Paul as well. The second connotation of light, which is very much related to that first one, is that of, you might say, of moral or ethical purity. Moral or ethical purity. This is closely associated. It's very much similar to, but it's not the entire meaning of the fact that God is holy. When you think of God's purity, you think of his of his holiness and his classic work on the existence and attributes of God. The great Puritan writer Stephen Charnock says the following about God's holiness. He says, holiness is a glorious perfection belonging to the nature of God. Hence, he is in the scripture styled often the Holy One, the Holy One of Jacob, the Holy One of Israel. Remember all these times, that's what he's referred to as. And he says this, and oftener or more often entitled holy than almighty. The Bible calls God holy more often than it calls him almighty, although he certainly is almighty. And it says, and set forth by this part of his dignity, that is holiness, more than by any other, this is his greatest title of honor. In this doth the majesty and venerableness of his name appear. You might know it's the only attribute of God so-called uh, in the scriptures that's repeated three times and it happens twice. In Isaiah 6, in the book of Revelation, what does it say about God? Holy, 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 as if to emphasize the point that we don't miss it. Uh, in his book, The Holiness of God, a terrific book. If you've never read it, I recommend it to you as well. R.C. Sproul writes that the holiness of God is, quote, one of the most important ideas that a Christian can ever grapple with. It is basic to our whole understanding of God and of Christianity. No wonder John brings it up here at the outset of his letter by reminding us that God is light. Think about the fact that God is light and that God is holy and how what, what happens when you lose sight of that truth that John is so quick to remind us of here early in this epistle. You think of the state of the church today. And I know that every every pastor throughout the ages has always said the same kinds of things, so... There's nothing new under the sun. We are no worse than those who went before us. They were in some ways no better in some ways. But think about the flippancy in worship in our day. 
Think about the, the circus-like atmosphere in some places, the, the rock concert followed by a TED Talk model, what we call sometimes the, we call it worshiptainment. You know, where you're, you're, you've got the jugglers, so to speak. Some places go far to the extreme in these things. Why do we do that? Why do we innovate in worship and add things to try to attract people that the Bible doesn't tell us to do? It's because we don't see God as holy. Do you remember the story? I won't belabor the point. We talked about it weeks ago of Nadab and Abihu. They offered strange fire before the Lord and God sent fire and consumed them and even told their father, you know, he held his peace, you know, because he knew God was right in doing it. We read that text sometimes. If, you, if you've never read it, the first time you read it, it's like, what? What in the world? You know, you think God's being a little uptight or something. No. And what's the point? God says that they treated him as unholy. They didn't treat him as holy before the people. That was the point. They did not view God as holy. If they had, they never would have dreamed of innovating and doing their own thing in the worship, uh, leading people in worship in the temple. Think about our man-centered gospel that you hear so often. What, why is the gospel so often watered down to the point where you're not even sure what people are being told they're being saved from? It's almost as if they're doing God a favor to come to Christ by faith. Why do we talk like that? Why do we present the gospel in such false terms? It's because we have lost sight of the holiness of God to the point where we, we, we stop talking about sin sometimes altogether. And we don't even know what people are being saved from. The worldliness in the church. Why does that happen? We lose sight of the holiness of God. Well, notice that John doesn't just teach us theology in a vacuum as if it were somehow unrelated uh, to how we are to live as Christians. A true and right knowledge of God will certainly involve propositional truth. We don't want to miss that about who God is, that God is light, for instance. But it has to affect how we live. That's the intent, is that it would affect how how we live, it must affect everything about our lives. And John makes that clear in verse 6, where he writes of the incompatibility of a believer walking in darkness. Look at verse 6. He says, if we say, you know, we claim, if we say we have fellowship with him, that's with God, while we walk in darkness, what does he say? We lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. You know, in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Paul says this, What fellowship has light with darkness? What's the answer? It's a rhetorical question. He's saying there is none. They, they, you, you can't have both. It's either dark or there's light. There's no mixture between it. They don't, they don't get along. They can't have fellowship with one another. Well, fault, the false teachers in John's day, just like probably in our own as well, what they did was they essentially turned the grace of God into licentiousness. They said that it doesn't matter when you come to Christ by faith. They all, they all seem to end up here. It's just how they get there, right? In some way or the other, they say, when you come to Christ by faith for salvation, it doesn't matter how you live. Go ahead and sing your fill as if a believer who knows the gospel and understands it would want to do such a thing. But that's what people teach, and many people find that uh, kind of thing Appealing. Now, they might not have used that, those exact words. They might not have said, hey, live how you want, but it's really the result of what they taught. But they taught that a believer could claim to have fellowship with God even while walking in darkness. And what does John say? John doesn't mince words. He calls that person a liar. And he says, if we say that, we lie and do not practice or do 
the truth. Now, what does it mean to walk in darkness? We kind of assume we know what that means. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't mean merely to occasionally sin or stumble along the narrow road. There is a there is all the difference in the world between stumbling along the narrow road and being on the broad path that leads to destruction in the first place. There are two different roads. Walking in darkness does not mean struggling with sin. I've said this before, but I think it bears repeating. Only believers in Christ actually struggle with sin. And I'll add to that, every believer in some regard struggles with sin. Unbelievers don't struggle with sin. They struggle with the consequences of their sin. They struggle with the miseries that come along with their sins. They don't struggle with sin. They aren't actually seeking to repent on their own of sin. So walking in darkness basically means continuing on in sin as if we had never come to Christ by faith in the first place. It means to go on living in sin as if nothing had changed and as if it doesn't matter how we live now that we have our, our little insurance, fire insurance card in our back pocket. That's, that's what John is talking about here. What does Paul say about that? In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he says, What shall we say then? In other words, he just talked about justification by faith and by grace alone throughout chapter 4 and 5. So, you know, you're, where, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. And then he says, What shall we say then? Romans 6, 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if sin abounds and grace abounds even more, then why not just sin your fill? Let's just sin it up. Because God's grace will just keep on, you know, overcoming it. He says, what's he say? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we? What's the answer? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? You can't. You can't. If you're born again, things change. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you'll walk in sinless perfection. But it does mean your life will begin to be changed because part of your salvation in Christ, by God's grace, includes such things as sanctification. God has made you alive from the dead. That's the whole point of what he says in Romans 6, the first four verses or so. In many ways, that's the same thing that John is saying in our text, isn't it? If God is light, then we cannot say that we have fellowship with him if we're walking in darkness, I've, I found this helpful. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He says, fellowship is a position in which two people are, if you like, walking together along the road. It is a journey, a companionship. There is a key verse in the Old Testament, and he quotes Genesis 5.22. Enoch, remember him? Enoch walked with God, Genesis 5.22, and he says, that means that he had fellowship with God and that is a very good way of thinking about it. Now, there's more to fellowship than that, but that's a very helpful way to, to, to look at it. When you think of fellowship with God in those terms, kind of like walking with God, I think it becomes clear why we can't walk in darkness and still have fellowship with God. For that to be the case, for us to be able to walk in darkness and still have fellowship with God, God himself would have to be in the darkness for that to be the case. But what did John say in verse 5 about that? In him there is what? No darkness at all. Picture it two different directions. If you, I'm not good at this stuff. But you know, think about it. This way there's light and this way is darkness. 
If you're walking that way, where is God? Is God in the darkness? God's omnipresent, of course, but is, is that where he is? No. So how can you say you're walking with God and having fellowship with him if you're walking in, in darkness? What does John say uh, about anyone who claims to have fellowship with God while walking in darkness? He says, if we do that, if we say that, we lie and do not practice. Literally, it's do not do the truth. Notice that truth is not only to be believed, but done and put into practice. What does James chapter 1 verses 22 to 25 say? He says there, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, many don't even hear. Many don't even go as far as being hearers of the word. But James says, if all you're going to do is hear it, you're wasting your time. You're deceiving yourself. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But to the one, uh, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, for the believer, that's what God's law is. It's a law of liberty, not a, not a law of oppression, right? Uh, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be what? He will be blessed in his doing. God blesses in his grace and kindness the imperfect but sincere good works of believers. He, bless, he is well pleased to bless uh, our being doers, however imperfectly, of his will and his word. And Jesus himself said in Luke 6:46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? And not do what I say. Stop calling me that, that title if you don't mean it. Right? And yet how many countless people are there within the visible church, as well as many who profess to be Christians but have nothing to do with the church, how many of those uh, go merrily along walking in darkness, showing no fruits of repentance in their daily lives, all the while presuming for various reasons that all is well with their souls and they have somehow their tickets stamped for heaven when they exit this life, whenever that may be. It's alarming how many, for at least in our day, I'm sure it's been that way all through the church history, but how, how many people there are that fit that bill? How many of them are, are there who call themselves Christians if you were to ask them? When you, you ever meet somebody like that, you tell them, no, I'm a Christian. Oh, me too. But you look at their lives, not that we can judge in some sense, but you say, wow, I, I would never have guessed is that, is that, can that be said of you? If you're here this morning, if you're listening, if, if, if you told somebody, hey, I'm a believer in Christ, would they be shocked? Would they say, oh, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed. Or would they say, oh, I could see that. Would it, would it be a shock or would it be uh, another thing that, that affirms your profession of faith? But how many of them call themselves Christians who never truly repent of their sins? and turn to Christ for salvation for real? How many go blindly on unrepentantly in sexual sin, thinking nothing of it, even in our day doing so, especially this month, proudly, uh, flouting God's law, mocking his just judgment? How many continue on in drunkenness or idolatry or covetousness or any such thing? And what does the Bible say about that? If that's the tenor of your life, that's what it's talking about here. This is the way you live. It says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, it says, 
Or do you not know, Paul says, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And notice how many times we keep hearing this phrase. Do not what? Do not be deceived. Don't kid yourself. That's what he's saying. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, if that's you, don't don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself as if all were right with your soul. And so if that's if that's you, what would the Bible tell you to do? Flee the wrath to come. Be reconciled to God. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ by faith for salvation. And what, is, what does Jesus say there uh, in the scriptures? The one who comes to him, he will by no means cast out if they come to him. But we look at, at God being light. We look at walking in the darkness. And look at verse 7 where John talks about the believer walking in the light. Uh, it goes from the bad news about walking in darkness to the good news of walking in the light. Verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So John, uh, in encouraging us to walk in the light, holds out before us two great blessings that are uh, related to walking in the light. The first of those is fellowship, and the second of those is forgiveness. Now, we might have expected John to say that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God, which is certainly true, but it's not what he says. Maybe as you read it, you kind of like we're expecting him to say, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with God, because that's what he's been talking about, right? If anybody says we, we, uh, we, we have fellowship with God but we walk in the darkness, we lie, and we expect the other side of the coin to be, having fellowship with God if you walk in the light. And that is certainly true. But instead he says that we then have fellowship with one another. And I don't think that was a typo. I don't think that was an accident or a slip of John's pen. True fellowship with God will necessarily involve not only holiness of life, but also fellowship with other believers. And so it's no wonder that so many of those who choose to go on living in sin and and walking in darkness, even while they say they're believers, that's why they avoid the fellowship of the visible church like the plague. It's, It's a sign, you could say, of the lack of fellowship with God, that they avoid the fellowship of God's people. I remember years ago, decades ago, uh, my dad, keep praying for my dad to come to know the Lord by faith in Christ. Um, one of my dad's co-workers, I never met the man, but he was a professing Christian. He gave my dad a Bible. And I remember on the front inside cover, uh, he had written something like, so this might be a word-for-word quote. He said, some, I may have it backwards, but he says, uh, either sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. And I, I read that. I'd never seen that before. And I was like, wow, that's true. That's the same thing John is kind of saying in, in a way here. People that want to live in their sin, what will they do? They'll profess to have fellowship with God. They'll, they won't just avoid actual fellowship with God. They'll avoid fellowship with God's people because they're actually walking in the darkness and they don't want to come to the light yet. That's really what, what is going on there. Throughout First John, the apostle links fellowship with God with fellowship with other believers and love for God with love for fellow believers. First John chapter 4 
verses 20 and 21, he says this. So he's the same kind of language throughout the book. First John 4, 20 to 21, he says, if anyone says, a lot of, a lot of talk in First John, right? If anyone says, I love God, lots of people say that. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's one of the tests of Christianity, so-called, so to speak, in the book of 1 John is love of the brethren. Love, obedience, and truth. We're going to see those three things emphasized over and over in 1 John. Now, the Gnostics, much like the cults and false teachers of our own day, uh, what do they do? They always seek to put a wedge between people professing Christians and the church. They always seek to put a wedge between professing Christians and the church and even against their families. This is what you may have had some experience with this or know of this kind of thing happening. This is what abusers do, isn't it? You ever known an abusive person? You ever have a loved one or a friend in an abusive relationship? And that abusive person, whoever they may, what do they do? They cut the person off from their family. They turn them against their own family. They turn them against their church family. It's what they always seem to do. They try to separate you from your family and from your church. And why do they do that? For all kinds of reasons, but first and foremost, in order to control you. That's what they always seek to do. And so false teaching is much like that, even like the cults are today. But if we're walking in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You know, I hope that you value and treasure the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope when you think of the Lord's Day and the gathered church, uh, you know, that, that part of that, part of what that means for you is enjoying fellowship, not just with God, but with your fellow believers as well. You know, it's, it's a dark world out there. We've had people here recently talk about uh, that kind of a thing. And it's a, it's a blessing. It's a breath of fresh air, uh, among other things, to have brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, to spend time in fellowship. With the second great blessing or benefit that John mentions in our text is not just fellowship, but forgiveness. Forgiveness, that's, that's a great blessing. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, David says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. It, it's impossible to overstate how great a blessing forgiveness is to a believer in Christ. And in verse 7, John says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what's the second thing? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all. All sin. Now we have to be clear about what John is and is not saying in our text. Um, he, he is not saying in our text that in any way uh, that somehow we earn forgiveness by walking in the light. We see these conditional statements in scripture that say, if this, then that. And sometimes we take them the wrong way. We say, oh, oh, this means quid pro quo, you know, spiritually speaking, I do this. And God does that. It's not what, that's not what John is saying. He's not saying that you can merit or earn God's forgiveness uh, by walking in the light. That would make really no sense uh, in many ways. What he is saying, he's not saying it's the cause, that, that walking in the light is somehow the effective cause of our forgiveness. 
What he's saying is, uh, in fact, that would turn the good news of the gospel into bad news and turn it on its head. He's stating not a cause here, but a correlation between the two things. Not a cause, but a correlation. The believer who walks in the light, not in sinless perfection, but walks in the light, is basically giving evidence of a true and living faith in Jesus Christ. Walking in the light demonstrates and shows that we are truly born again and have fellowship with God. And how can a sinner be forgiven and have fellowship with God? John spells it out for us. It's only by what? By the blood of Jesus, his son. It's only by the blood of Jesus, the son of God, that God cleanses us from our sin. So as always, the blood of Christ and his cross is front and center. And what does John say in 1 John 2, verse 2? He calls Christ himself the propitiation for our sins. The propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? It means he has taken the wrath of God upon himself fully. He has taken all the wrath of God for your sins and mine, if you're a believer, on himself and paid the price in full. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins the sins of every believer having taken God's wrath for our sins upon himself on the cross and paying the full and infinite debt of our sin. That is how Paul can say in Romans 3.26 that God can be, quote, just or righteous and at the same time be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The cross is the only thing that enables God to do that, to still be God, to still be holy, to still be just, and yet justify the one who comes to Christ for salvation. Why? Because he didn't sweep our sins under the rug. He can't do that. He didn't violate his holiness. He didn't violate his righteousness. When you read Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the gospel in terms of the righteousness of God being revealed from faith to faith. Why? Because Christ died for our sins. He fully punished the infinite debt of our sin in his son. And so I'll ask this morning, are, are you a believer in Christ enjoying peace with God? Are you enjoying fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and with other believers as you walk with him in the light? Then praise God for his glorious grace towards you in his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul gives us kind of a very familiar uh, imperative in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. He basically tells us to make it our aim, make it your aim as a believer to continue walking in the light. Ephesians 5, 3 to 10, Paul says this. He's talking to the church, the believers, right? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness but must not even be named among you. No one should associate those things with Christians. If they do, there's something terribly wrong. He says, uh, not must not even be named among you as is proper among saints or fitting among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, here, here it is again, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you. There it is again. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, or do not become partners with them. Here it is. For at one time you, before you came to Christ, at one time you were darkness, but now 
You are what? Now you are light in the Lord. And then he says, walk, present tense, keep doing it. Because you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And then he says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Sounds like fellowship with God. What can I do? How, how can I live in a way that pleases my heavenly father in fellowship with him? Walk in the light. Why? Because you used to be darkness, but not anymore. You know, the scripture has a, a funny way of, of, of giving us commands. And these days people get un- uncomfortable about commands and imperatives. They think it's somehow legalistic, which is just dumb. It's just silly. It's not even Christian. The Bible's full of them. If you remove all the commands, uh, you can have a pretty thin Bible, I have to say the least. But, but what does it do? The Bible's commands to believers always seem to end up looking something like this. Be what you are. Be, be more and more what God has made you and is making you. That's all he's saying. He's not giving you some thing to stra- a load to strap on your back, some awful burden. He's like, God has made you from darkness to light. Live like it. Walk in the light, continue in fellowship with God, and know the joy of fellowship with God, and know the joy of his forgiveness of all your sins. We who are believers in Christ, who are now light in the Lord, so let us, as Paul says, walk in the light, seeking to please the Lord in all things as we enjoy fellowship with him and with one another as well. Amen.